0: We finally made Incomparable t-shirts. It's true, but they're only on sale until October 7, 2013. Visit TheIncomparable.com slash shirt to learn all about them.
1: The Incomparable, number 160, September 2013.
0: Welcome back to The Incomparable. I'm your host, Jason Snell, and tonight we're going to be talking about a movie. I guess this is the latest in our series of kind of talking about classic movies from movies from the past that uh, we think about fondly. And this is uh, the movie where we take the red pill. Is it the red pill? That's the good. It's pill? the red pill. OK. We take the little blue mm-hmm. pill. No, a little blue pill. And you just you go back in the Matrix, which is what we're talking about. 1999's epic sci-fi movie the matrix what we're not talking about by the way except maybe obliquely are the sequels because i don't want to bring you down what sequels the what now there are sequels there we go that's the stuff Hmm. that's that's what i was looking for exactly so let me let me introduce the people the fine people who are here to talk about the matrix with me tonight we've got david lore david welcome back again we can't get rid of you now you're on every episode (laughs) you're the new dan morin
2: I'm I'm the new Dan Morin. I'm I'm uh, Orange is the new Dan Morin.
3: Okay, fair enough. It's good to have you here. Uh, John Syracuse is here as well. Hi, John. Hello, Jason. You mentioned that this is going to be a show where we talk about movies from the past that uh, that are classics and that we love. I may be on the wrong
0: show. Well, yeah. It, they, <laughs> I think, didn't I say that they are loved or they're generally loved? I loved The Matrix when it came out, but we can. This is this will be very interesting. Uh, Steve Lutz is also here. Hi, Steve. Good evening, Mr. Snell. Thank you. Very good. And uh, we have we have a new guest who has not been on before. Um, she is one of the hosts of the very excellent Doctor Who podcast, Verity. It's Erica Ensign. Hi, Erica.
4: Hi. It's great to be here.
0: Thank you for being here. I appreciate it. You saw The Matrix lots of times in the theater, didn't you?
4: I saw it nine times.
0: Nine times, Mrs. Bueller. Exactly. You know... <laughs> I saw it, I saw it only once in the theater, but I, what I remember is I was teaching a class, um, at a web a web design class back in the '90s. That was a thing we we taught it was a web design, HTML, to um a bunch of grad students, and I remember one day all of the um, Mac screensavers in the class where we taught had been converted to the Matrix screensaver, and I was like, "What the heck is this?" And then like four of them came up to me and said. Oh man, you've got to see the Matrix. It's the best movie ever to blow your mind. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "All right, okay," and we went and saw it, and I liked it a lot. Um, uh, this is the first time I've seen it in in years, though, and and I thought that was that was pretty interesting. I think I think this movie was very influential. And sometimes we cover these movies and um, and things that really blew your mind at the time. Sometimes you look back on them later and they don't seem as impressive because everybody's copied them. And once you've seen it in a million um, beer ads in the Super Bowl. It's the bullet time is a little less exciting, but um, I still have a lot of fondness <laughs> for the Matrix. So we're going to talk about it. We all watched it, right? We all watched it again, did we recently? Oh yeah, we did. All oh, right, yes. good. Not together, but we all we all watched it. Well, where to start? Does anybody have any opening remarks? I guess I should ask before we, I bet John does before we get into it. <laughs> you,
3: you bet, correct? How did you know?
0: Oh, this is why I ask because John often likes to set the stage and tell us. Well, uh, paint a little picture of where we're about to go, the journey we're about to take.
3: Yeah. I have more casual opening remarks. Two <laughs> two things to say. First is that, and then we should all talk about this at some point, what, what our experience was seeing the movie for the first time. And for me, the memory of seeing Matrix for the first time is defined by me knowing nothing about the movie. Like, all I knew was that it would blow your mind, and there was a screensaver. See, I didn't even know that. This is this is the the before times, kids, when it was possible to go into a movie not even knowing that there was anything to know, like not even knowing that someone said it's amazing. There were those
0: ads, good, that the... and all the ads were was like, "What is the Matrix?" So it didn't nope. explain anything.
3: And I, I had nothing. I, I think I saw the poster while walking, you know, in into with the my theater ticket in hand, so I could see who was in who was in the movie. I knew absolutely nothing about it. And that, I think, is the ideal way to go into a movie. And I think it's an experience that's probably not possible unless you're a very young person. To go into a movie, like, at the very least, you're going to know, like, there's something about this movie. There's some sort of big revelation. There's some kind of twist, something. And even just knowing that, if your mind works the way your mind does, uh, can ruin some of the surprise. So that so that was uh, exciting, interesting, uh, and, it, and it really gave the movie more punch. And the second thing is that for a long, long time, I harbored very bad feelings about The Matrix. Uh, mostly because it was so lauded by the people, you know, in my sort of circles of nerds and everything as being this amazing movie and everything, and I could not get over the ridiculousness of the premise, like that that I expected so much more of the movie to, uh, to you know, it, it wanted to do everything right, and yet the foundation of the movie made no sense.
0: Uh-oh, guys, this is a setup. Syracuse is here to get us.
3: Yeah, and and that bothered me now. But what I'm gonna say is that when I, when I rewatched the movie, not for this podcast, actually, I rewatched it on my own, like a, a couple of weeks before you suggest rewatching it. I had much better feelings about it. Huh. Rewatching it, like getting some distance from my anger about the, you know, the backlash, like all the everyone loves the Matrix, and you know, and and I I didn't like it because there was like, and I I mean I did like it. I do did have good feelings for me now, getting some distance and being able to see it, sort of see it again for the first time. I felt better about it. So that's what we'll talk about today.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, and that's a good thing that we should probably talk about now. I I, I mentioned that I had the grad student say, oh, it'll blow your mind, man. And John's told his story. Uh, Erica, we touched on the fact that you saw it a bunch of times. I guess that means you liked it.
4: (laughs) Yeah. I'm not that masochistic. I saw it the first time and I didn't know. I didn't know anything either. I had seen, I think, one of the teaser ads where you saw Morpheus jump and then Neo says, whoa. And (laughs) that was it. (laughs)
0: That's the Keanu, right? That's the whole
4: movie, yes. though. Yes. That's really all you need yes. to know. But yeah, and I think, I think going along with what John said, that, that was one of the things that worked for me that, so much about the movie. I loved back in the day being able to go into a theater and not know anything. And in this, this one, not only did I not know anything when I walked into the theater, I still didn't know very much about a half an hour into it, and I thought that was fantastic. It was sort of a reverse dramatic irony. Like the characters knew what was going on, most of them, but but I didn't, and I thought that was awesome.
0: Steve, what was your Matrix experience? Did you have some grad students come up to you? <laughs> I I try to keep my distance from grad. That's students smart. As they much were paying possible.
4: they
1: were paying me to be close to them. So yeah, well, it's, that would be the only reason. In uh, yeah, no, I, I didn't get around to seeing this until two thousand six, as usual, because I was forced to for other reasons that I actually wanted to see it. You missed the Matrix entirely. Wow, I did. I think I uh, I think both of the horrible the. The theorized horrible sequels that don't actually exist Mm-mm. had uh, not yet come out, or they had both come out, and I was already aware that uh, I was probably setting myself up for disappointment if mm. I wanted to see the whole trilogy. So, um, But I sat down and watched it knowing already, basically, that uh, uh, that th- there's a computer simulation and everybody lives in it. Um, what I didn't know was the bit where Keanu uh, is actually pulled from the Matrix and emerges from his pod of goo and uh and that part I was very entertained by because I I had not uh, you know been pr- properly prepared ah. for it so um you know I watched the whole movie with pretty much my brain turned off trying not to pay too much attention to the the utterings of morpheus and <laughs> uh really enjoyed it this this time I I watched it twice in the run up to this podcast and uh uh thought a little bit more about some of the things that were being said and tried to determine whether the plot actually made any sense and enjoyed it slightly less. But yeah. uh <laughs> as a as a spectacle, as a just entertainment, it's a great movie. I can't deny that. Yeah. If you if you're willing to turn your brain off, um and you're willing to uh overlook the main actor, then uh then it's a great, <laughs> great film.
3: Whoa. Wait, wait, wait a second. Okay. You want to <laughs> overlook the main actor? This yes. and Point Break are the peak of his career.
1: Yeah, isn't that sad? Yes.
3: No, but we talked it's about Pete, Pete Clooney. Clooney the last time. It's... These are the rules that he was made for. This, yeah. I guess, Bill and Ted. This, Bill and Ted. <laughs> and uh, Point Break. Yeah, Point Break. Like He is perfect in P- these roles. P- Pete Just Kino. so he's perfect. Every other role, he is terrible. But th- these roles, he is perfect.
1: He's terrible in everything. It fits in Bill and Ted. In this, he's a piece of wood. And I I cannot watch this movie without thinking, how much better would this movie be with somebody who could act? No, no. I I think that would ruin it. Yeah. Maybe. I don't know. I
4: think you need somebody who's pretty much just uh, Just a cypher. Well, not (laughs) Not, not (laughs) cypher. He's
3: embarrassingly earnest. He's embarrassingly earnest in a movie that really, if the production values were lower, would basically be a B movie, right? but it's not
0: i assume that that they did some work on the script knowing who their lead actor was because i I mean the best example being when the oracle says he's not too bright right (laughs) first sign the oracle knows what she's talking about if you had a smarter seeming kind of actor that character would have to be different because that is one of the beauties of this is that he kind of bumbles along as like not really getting it and not wanting to get it and just being this dude who's got this you know, is is fulfilling this prophecy, and I, you know, I don't know whether that character would have worked better if it had been a more intelligent character because they would have had to change the script to make it the dynamic a little bit different. I think because I think that's why it works. He's he's the Forrest Gump of this movie.
1: I don't think he has to be more intelligent. I just think he has to be slightly less monotone. And I, I think there are ways to do monotone and confused and 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 being a cipher without necessarily. I mean, with with some character growth and with Keanu, his first line is what? And he maintains that exact tone and delivery for the next 129 minutes. And uh, it just, for me, not my thing. I'd like to see somebody with a bit more range. He's not my favorite.
2: Yeah, I mean, there's there's very little change in, you know, what, the two hours and 10 minutes or whatever it is. 16. Yeah, yeah I mean, I like him. I like him just fine. But yeah, he's he's just sort of on that plane. And, and, you know, even when he's changed and when he's evolved and when he, you know, he realizes that he could be the one, he's still sort of talking like this. Whoa. <laughs> and, you know, he he gets a little angrier, you know, this is a little more like, I am the one. But <laughs> mm-hmm. it's like, okay, uh, clear your throat. that's <laughs> well,
3: well, he well he's like an action figure because, like, we'll get to this yeah. later in the movie, is that he expresses the change in his character through his actions. I think the most... One of my favorite parts of the movie, one of the most important parts that I've watched it many times again, I don't think it was supposed to be as, as important as I made it, is, uh, you know, for the whole movie, it's like, oh, okay, I don't understand how the world works, and then he learns the truth, and then they're trying to convince him he's the one, he's not sure, and he goes through all this stuff. Uh, but the, the key point of the movie, I think, is when the helicopter's going over the edge, right? And there's the <laughs> rope that's dangling out of the helicopter, and it's going over the edge, and it's kind of in slow motion. And at a, at a certain point, what he decides to do is...
0: By the way, spoilers for the Matrix. It's been out yeah. for fourteen freaking years. Spoilers for the <laughs> Matrix. Just Saying
3: okay, the, the helicopter is going over the edge of the building kind of in slow motion, and and the, it's everything is very slow. And he in the decision-making process, his you can see it going. Is he decides to pick up the rope that's attached to the helicopter with the intention that he is going to stop the helicopter from falling off the edge of the building, which is a decision you would never make in a, in the real world. And that's the point when he realizes, hey, wait a second. I can grab this rope and stop the helicopter from falling off the end because this is not the real world. This is a simulation. You don't think
0: he's just assuming
3: that she's going to tie the other end to
0: her and and jump off?
3: Even that wouldn't work in the real world either, because and they do. If you watch it again, you'll see that they they don't linger on it, but they do spend a little bit of time. In it because in no in no real world, even in an action <laughs> movie, that's preposterous. The only reason it works is because he figures out finally, oh. I can be an agent of my own, you know, destiny in ways that have wow. no bearing on reality because I'm strapped in a chair with a thing shoved in the back of my head.
1: In fairness, he does play the role
3: very much like a man who's had a metal spike shoved into the base of his skull. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but like, but there's, no, there's no dialogue in that scene. He doesn't think to himself. He doesn't have a voiceover. He doesn't have a conversation about it. Yes. All of his transformation as a character is done through his actions and deciding yes. what to do with his big dorky looking body and his funny little bouncy walk.
2: <laughs> That's very true.
1: Most actors wouldn't be brave enough to play a completely flat face like that. They would actually show some kind of emotion or
3: uh, he a shows a emotion. Facial you're expression. Be, you're being unfair fair to Keanu.
4: <laughs> Let's be honest, though. This isn't really a film about character development. <laughs> really, the, uh, seriously, the yeah. characters—they're yep. all archetypes. I mean, you've got the wise totally. leader and the clueless hero, the mysterious woman, the tech guy. I mean, this would make a really good RPG party. Um, <laughs> they don't even have real names, so it's not right. that kind of a film. So I'm I'm really okay with a, a wooden. And I completely agree that he's wooden and doesn't really emot very much at all. I'm I'm alright with that because it fits in this kind of film.
0: They're avatars. I mean, they're literally avatars. Yeah. That's what they're here. Before we get into the plot, uh, David, do you have any uh, any Matrix story? Did you see it in the
2: theater? And I did not see it in the <gasps> theater, but <laughs> I I bought it before it came out on DVD. I pre-ordered. You know, I was like, ah, all right. You had to get caught up. I, I watched it the night it came out. Yeah, see what the grad students are talking about. Exactly. Well, we don't have grad students here, but we have a lot of college students right. who are like,
0: "Whoa!" Yeah, Same thing. Sure. Far out, man.
2: And um, except they don't pay me, so I don't go near them.
0: All our listeners are grad students and we've just yes. killed the podcast. We apologize <laughs> hey, to the grad students of the world. All right.
2: But yeah, no, I mean when it came out, you know, all anyone knew about it was, "Oh, science fiction film by the Wachowskis and, you know, and i had seen Bound right. and I thought, "Well, what kind of science fiction film are they going to do?" Cuz I mean, it came out of nowhere. Right. And so when I saw it, and, and again, part of the curiosity was just really? They're doing sci-fi? Yeah. Okay. But I mean Bound is a good, just, you know, solid pulp thriller. Yeah. Um with some nice hooks, so to speak. And um so uh when I'm you know, I'm watching the movie and I'm going, wow, this is this is pretty good. I like this, you know, and it's got it's got a little bit of fake Philip Dick, but it's not Philip Dick, and it's better than all of the actual adaptations of Philip Dick that aren't huh, anything right. like Philip Dick.
0: So you know, I really liked it. You mentioned you mentioned Bound. Um, I, I also saw Bound before I saw uh, The Matrix, and the opening of this movie is Carrie Ann Moss in leather mm-hmm. in in the in what is she in the building in the heart of, is in the heart of the city hotel. Heart of the city. Heart of the city hotel.
4: Actually before that you get the cold open where it's just voiceovers. Right, and it of, turns out later right, it's numbers. Joe Pantoliano
0: and the numbers are there and we go into the matrix and you can hear that phone call that's going on in the background. Which I only
4: mentioned for the sake of symmetry because they echo it again at the very near the end of the film.
0: Right. Right. The first sign there in the matrix should have been the phone number with the 555 prefix. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that's that's somebody somebody on Twitter today was saying how um when you rewatch it you realize how much of uh, how much of the plot involves you know telephones and phone booths and wired phones wired phones, and... and they do have cell phones. But I said, well, this is why the machines set it in 1999 is because they needed to have phone booths. I guess. Is it a coincidence that shortly after this film came out, public phone booths started disappearing? from I don't existence? think so. <laughs> I don't think so. Either. I think it's the machines. They they figured mm. it, they figured it out. So we see we see Trinity in the heart of the city, and and uh, I watched this with my wife, and she said that she quoted dialogue and my wife likes lots of movies, but she doesn't generally quote sci-fi movie dialogue back at me. I, I'm the one who tends to do that in this relationship. And, and mm-hmm. she, she turns to me as, as we're watching it and says, Lieutenant, your men are already dead, <laughs> yes. uh, which is such a wonderful thing. Cause there's the police, the kind of, uh, fat police guy who says, oh, my guys can handle a little girl. He's this just complete awful, obnoxious cop. And, and, and we meet agent Smith and, and he says, your men are already dead. And then we see Trinity dispatch all of these, all of these guys. And, uh, and then we get that, that huge chase scene. And it's, it's a, a quite a statement this movie makes right at the top that this is not maybe the the kind of of movie that you're expecting. We have the strong female character who is in this action sequence and the chase and and um, and does some pretty amazing things. And you're like, how is that possible, <laughs> right? And uh, and then that leads off to her running to a phone booth and a car smashing into it. And it's like, what did I just see? But it's a it really is a spectacular action scene to
2: start a movie and i love it oh yeah yeah no i i the other night when i rewatched it i watched it with my 11 year old who you know again had no idea what he was in for and 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 he you know he's already doing the thing where he'll have a, a tablet or a ds or something while he's watching and and as that's going on he's just sort of looking over the top of it and finally just turns it off and puts it down <laughs> and it's like <laughs> yeah okay okay um, and the thing that, that really struck me, especially like looking at some of the lighting and the, just the, uh, framing of shots, especially when she's in the midst of the fight and, and on the roof later and, you know, all these different things is that this really is a comic book, Yeah, you know, and it is, it's, it's maybe one of the best looking, you know, most comic book looking movies I've ever seen.
4: Yeah. That scene is, that's where I bought in. I mean, I yeah. think we can we can credit the fact that I saw it nine times in the theater. Um, it was a very expensive summer for movies, because Phantom Menace <laughs> came out that year, too. Good grief.
2: Uh, see, I only saw that once.
4: Yeah, I saw that nine times as well. Oh
2: wow.
4: <laughs> I'm that geek. So, wait, you earlier said you weren't a masochist. <laughs> <laughs> we all did Touché. things at
0: the time that we might regret later, Steve. We'll just... <laughs> Never. Never. We were all very that. excited about the Phantom Menace when it came out.
4: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I, I thought it was really bold to start the film with, a, like you said, Jason, a female character because that's not something that – actually, that's not something you still see in the movies right. very often. And I was just not only blown away by the fact that it's, it's a woman that's it's kicking ass, but how much she was kicking ass. And I also have to mention another little bit of symmetry because that's the kind of stuff that, that really gets me going. When she lands at the bottom of the stairs and they're saying, you know, get up, Trinity, get up, that's echoed again at the end of the movie. Which we'll get yeah, to. Right.
0: And I love that moment too, because we've seen her at that moment when she's at the bottom of the stairs. Um, laying on her back with the guns pointed up at the window waiting for that agent to come through. This, We've seen her do things that seem superhuman and we definitely have seen the agent do things that seem superhuman. They've left the police behind. And there's that moment where immediately following this superhuman chase, she's laying at the bottom of the stairs and she's vulnerable and she's scared and she's waiting for that horrible monster to come through the window and then she has to kind of like talk herself into g- getting to the next thing. And that's a great combination too because we've just seen her super part and now we see see her as you know obviously she is vulnerable there's something that that these super people that we're watching are afraid of and i i love that combination and then she runs you know runs down the street it's a it's a indelible scene i love that scene Okay, let's step out of the matrix briefly and back into the real world. So I can tell you about this week's sponsor. It's Namecheap.com. It was voted Best Domain Name Registrar by Lifehacker Readers. It's one of the top domain name registrars, and it offers some of the cheapest prices in the industry. I have several domains at Namecheap.com, including my home domain, Intertext.com. It's known as one of the best registrars in the industry. It's got over a million satisfied customers. Since 2000, Namecheap.com has been offering an unparalleled level of service when it comes to customer care. They've got Professional Support representatives standing by to assist you answering any of your questions 24-7-365. Namecheap offers some of the most affordable domain names in the industry, in addition to full-featured web hosting packages, secure SSL certificates, WhoisGuard domain name privacy, and much, much more. And for a limited time, there's a great offer for incomparable listeners from Namecheap. Get your private ad-free email and a .com, .net, or .org domain for only 6 99 but in order to do this you have to visit my favorite url in the world this week it's namecheap.com slash incomparable that's namecheap.com slash incomparable when you go there you will see our logo our zeppelin is there our rocket is there our dragon our robot all the cool incomparable stuff is there and there's also a really great deal for you so thank you to namecheap.com the place where i registered my own intertext.com domain for sponsoring the incomparable okay, now everybody take the red pill.
3: One of the many reasons that uh, the geeks like this movie is the reason the geeks like a lot of movies is that uh, it doesn't. It assumes a level of intelligence in being able to follow the plot that many blockbuster action movies do not. <laughs> and so the, the opening right. of the movie where they don't explain, who is this person? Why are these people chasing her? Why can they do these things? A lesser popcorn action movie would have to set up all those things before you see a dramatic action scene, or at least explain to you who the people are. Maybe if you don't have to explain it because it's a, it's a franchise movie and everyone knows who Batman is and you can have an opening scene and people just accept that he's Batman. No explanation of who these people are, what's at stake, why they're chasing each other, why they can do these things in the premise of the movie or in the advertising or anything. Because in a in a movie, like in a good book, the story unfolds and you learn things but that is so counter to the way blockbuster movies are done so any movie that gives you any credit to be able to follow a plot and and reveal information later that that you know lets you look back in earlier scenes and explain them gets such a big thumbs up from nerds especially when it's sci-fi because it's like finally you're not talking down to me as badly as you usually are (laughs) and i i I definitely (laughs) felt that in this opening scene because again going in knowing nothing i knew these weren't franchise characters it's not based on you know anything that or if it was it was based on a comic book or property that i i hadn't heard of or anything and they just went right into it here we are they're fighting you, we, you will learn later why they're fighting and it will make sense and sure enough you did and and i like that
4: yeah that's exactly the reverse dramatic irony i was talking about it i like movies like that because it makes me feel like my time was worth something <laughs> yeah. i've accomplished something yeah. it's not like you know captain info dump at the beginning of the movie telling me everything i should know
2: and and the thing that's that's really striking is that you know because it's not based on an existing thing because we don't know who this is because it's not either of the two big names who are advertised in every piece of marketing it's not Lawrence Fishburne it's not Keanu Reeves who is this maybe the thing maybe the truck really did kill her when it crashed into the phone booth you know we have no idea who this is and suddenly we realize that any one of these characters could die at any moment and suddenly there are stakes where James Bond is not going to die and why are these phones so important that people exactly. run into
0: them even though the truck is going to
2: smash and then up. you know again spoiling later uh when keanu dies and you go wait a minute and then suddenly he's not dead so they've even changed that rule by the end of the movie and it's like spoiler alert keanu reeves doesn't die at
0: the end of the matrix <laughs> Just, again but that's are catching up sorry to ruin it for you <laughs> It's been out for 14 years. Not that you'd know. So that we cut, we cut, um, (laughs) and we get the, we meet, we meet Keanu Reeves, and he is this kind of, uh, schlubby programmer guy living in his little apartment, and there's a knock on the door, and there's some kind of, uh... Uh, there's there's a really douchey guy who wants a, who wants like a disc or something and talks about mescaline. That's one one of the most embarrassing lines in the entire movie.
4: It's the only way to fly. This
0: glowing ginger who has the audacity to call Keanu Reeves whiter than usual. Yeah, I know. And 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 uh, but the but the 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 girl who's with him, she's got the white rabbit tattoo, and he's gotten his mysterious text, glowing green text message on his computer that says to follow the white rabbit. And so we get what and what. now I think about it as this descent into the mystery of the matrix. But at the time I'm thinking, Oh, this is what this story is going to be. The first time this movie unfolds, it's like, you know, now I'm understanding what I'm seeing. It's a regular guy who, you know, it's almost like, um, what's the Martin Scorsese movie after hours with Griffin Dunn, right? Where it's a regular guy who gets into series of ridiculous situations and goes further and further into the underworld. And that's originally, that's what I thought it is and that what it is. And now we know it's really just him, um, getting to the nightclub so that he can meet
3: uh, Trinity, right? That establishes his character as not the character that the geeks will identify with. The yeah. moment that he credulously yeah. believes that 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 he doesn't like an actual nerd would be like, "That's an actual coincidence." And my brain is applying significance to it because it seems like, "Whoa, that <laughs> yeah. must mean that like they totally just said white rabbit and someone has a white rabbit," you know. But he is credulous and he is stupid and like. He's the Forrest <laughs> Gump of the movie. And so he goes along with it. So right, right out the gate, we know, okay, I'm not identifying with Neo. Yeah. He also goes out to the he's club. He's not a skeptical nerd I would not have guy. done that. So. I do like right. that he keeps his <laughs> super secret Sony
1: mini-discs in a hollowed-out copy of Simulacra and Simulation.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Open to the page on nihilism. I love the Sony mini-disc thing, by the way. That looks better <laughs> yes. and better as time recedes. It's like, <laughs> it's what a,
3: kind of crazy tech is this? That's the second layer of this movie is that when you know, I showed it to my son as well. The idea of, like, t- 90s technology, phone booths, uh, that the, the Nokia cell phone that snaps open was supposed oh, yeah. to be impressive. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. All, all that kind of retro futurist Hey, stuff.
4: it was impressive. That was <laughs> sure. super impressive. That's one
2: honking phone, too. It makes a great sound when it clicks It does, it's, and then very exciting. That's what you want.
0: Move no, you're right. It is... I remember so this is one of my references Jason always makes on podcasts. It's not about the Micronauts. It's about Max Headroom, but Max Headroom, the art direction is, um, lots of weird, um, anachronistic stuff. So there's like, there's like Studebakers that everybody drives and stuff. And I, and I, what I like about it is it's like this bizarre combination of things. The Matrix, watching it now, I feel more of that. Like when they're in the Matrix, it's it, it, at the time it was there in the present day. And now it's like they're in a simulation of 1999 and it feels like it. And it actually kind of works that they've got the mini disks
2: and the and the cell phones and all of that. Well, it, here's the thing with perspective. So I'm watching it with my son and, you know, Neo gets the little, you know, the computer wakes him up with the messages. And he goes, that's a weird looking iMessage. It didn't even <laughs> phase him. It didn't, you know. Sure. Of course the computer's going to talk to you. Yeah, but I it, you suppose know, so. It's wow. not the computer.
0: That's less you know, creepy it's like, if it's just oh, a whoop. Here's yeah. a message from your friend Morpheus. Okay, so Neil goes to work. <laughs> he's a he's a cubicle drone.
1: He is specifically a program writer for a
0: respectable software company, whatever that is. I I, I left. He meets Trinity. We we should say that. He meets Trinity at the at the club. Mhm. The Trinity, Jason. And there's a nice scene there where, where he says, I thought you were a guy.
4: <laughs> she says, most guys do. Yeah,
3: yeah, beautiful. There's a couple of a couple of good lines this movie still stand up.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but then he ends up in the cubicle farm and we see his soul-crushing job with his soul-crushing boss. And uh, so he gets the FedExed, um cell phone and uh, it immediately rings. <laughs> and he's like, ah! That's the, the scariest <laughs> thing in this movie is, what if somebody <laughs> sent you a phone in the mail? And when you open the box, it rang. Well, they've been calling it every five Fair minutes. But on Nokia was a hook. Um so he answers it and it's Morpheus. And and I really like that scene where where Morpheus tells mm. him exactly what to do. Like he can see every single thing and knows the sequence of events and and you know, go now. And he runs across and it's very tense, but it's also like, How is this possible? How is this guy doing this? And he leads him to the window and and he goes out on the ledge and then you know, again, kind of going against your expectations. Keanu's like, "No, nah, forget it." And then next <laughs> next scene, he's with the agents and his boss, and it's like, I, "No, I'm not going. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna follow this Morpheus guy. Who is this guy? I don't." Yeah, the
3: th- at this point, we still have no idea what's at stake, why they're chasing him, why he's important in any way. Like because he doesn't know, and we don't know. And wh- why do right. these people catch him? What are they going to do when they catch him? What anything is this? Is this you know? Are they criminals? Is he a criminal? Are they going to kill him? Are they part of his boss, his work? Is it a computer hack? We know nothing, which is great. Like, you know, you've gone so long into the movie without them explaining it to you.
4: I like that scene because you're right. We don't know anything. But at that point, I no longer feel like I'm alone in not knowing anything because <laughs> I, that's when Neo really joins us as the audience in being like, WTF, I have no idea what's happening.
1: Right. Yeah. This is the first place where I kind of start having problems with the movie, having rewatched it a few times. If the computers running this whole simulation shouldn't hiding from the agents be basically impossible?
0: I think the agents. I think. I mean, obviously, the premise of the movie is that the agents, the agents are are artificial intelligence. They work within the matrix. They're loose within the system, and that's the Smith. Even says later, you know, I, I hate the smell, <laughs> and mm-hmm. and they're, they're but obviously they're clearly getting some kind of uh, information
1: from their little headsets. Right, but right. the
0: matrix. They, they like. They have to play by the rules. He's he's almost like a virus. That's why they have to have headsets. Yeah. I think that I think that's. I mean, otherwise, what's the point of the movie if if there is just and then a hand appeared out of the sky and picked <laughs> up Neo and crushed him in the end, right? So they they have to they 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 can break the rules, but they still are, have to be in the world and play by the, by to some degree the physics of the world, and that's just the premise we have to go through.
2: Yeah, see, I, I saw him as sort of sort of like a virus that you sort of stick in there that that's working as a free agent, so to speak. Um, which right. I, you know, who knows how intentionally they they. Put that in there. If but they ever did sequels, they might
0: have explained it. But
2: mm, yeah, you know, sadly, I mean, someday, <laughs> someday.
0: Incidentally,
1: has everybody seen the uh, the imagined sequels? I, the, I
2: the don't
3: apocrypha. know what you're talking
4: about. Yes, I have. I have. I've seen them, yes. all of them, and
3: I don't deny the existence of the movies, although they are terrible. But I like they had. <laughs> They had seeds of possible... They had interesting things. Yeah, they had, they had interesting ideas, and just completely poorly. I'd executed. actually
0: argue that the first yeah. half of the trilogy is good because I think the first half of the second movie is actually pretty good, and then it comes to a screeching yeah. halt and never resumes.
4: I think they're good popcorn movies. They're just fun to watch, not fun to like think about.
0: The car chase in Matrix Reloaded is amazing. It's just the, oh, then yeah. the architect appears.
3: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's there's great action scenes, but you have to you have to figure out it like for the first movie. There's a clear arc that we'll travel through of like be you know beginning, middle, end. We see you know be, the beginning. You don't know, then you do know, and it's revealed, and there's a climax, and blah blah blah. And they just didn't come up with that for the next two movies. They just wanted to finish telling the story, but didn't figure out. Oh. Then we have to have two more movies and each one of those movies needs to be a satisfying self-contained right. story. Yeah, that's about They right. continues the plot and they said, no, nah, we're not going to do that. <laughs> there's <laughs> just there's gonna, a lot more just gonna...
0: downloading happening in those movies in terms of, of mythology and stuff instead of really more satisfying stories. I mean, the fact that the third movie ends up being a giant... Um, like mech gun battle kind of thing is sort Boring. of disappointing although although you could say that about the end of this movie too, and maybe we'll maybe we'll get there, although we're going very slowly through it i i uh they they put a bug in him they put a they put a bug in him, and then he wakes up and 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 I feel like we're still at the point in this movie where there's a question about whether um anything truly fantastical is going on. we're sort of in that is he is he imagining this what's the reason behind this is is this the real world, and I feel like the moment where um the moment where he gets what his mouth kind of closes Wait, when up when and they, his mouth closes and they up. stick then, the bug in him like, and all a... of that it's like oh my god what is happening now that's that mm-hmm. moment where it's just cuz once terrifying. the
3: mouth closes up you're like okay is this does this movie does this movie have magic
0: <laughs> something is going or on. is this or is
3: this all like a, a drug tip or hallucination because previously everything had been You know, guns, fighting, but no no, like fantasy elements. And then once his mouth closes over like that, like it's either a horror movie or a fantasy movie or some sort of drug thing. And they tease you by saying, okay, now he wakes up. Maybe he dreamed all that. It seemed like a dream sequence, didn't it? And you're still not sure what's going on, but now you don't even know what genre the movie is anymore, which is great. The first
1: sign that things are not quite right is, for me, the best thing in the movie. And that's the way that Hugo Weaving talks. He's amazing. Yes. He's, oh, yeah. he's halting. Mm-hmm. He's got that kind of weird half-accent. He, he has little pauses here and there. It's like he's struggling to figure out how humans talk. and He's, he's trying to wrap his programming around it, and it's, it's wonderfully done, and it really racks up the tension, I think. Something I noticed for the first time during the scene where they insert the bug this time out, there's this funky little divot a little up and to the left of Keanu Reeves' belly button. It's like a, a bonus navel. It's really weird. Hmm. I think the reason this guy talks so weird is he was grown in a lab. It's, <laughs> That's his stem? That's where he was plucked off the Keanu tree? It's just odd. I wasn't sure if it was some weird piece of CGI so, they just threw in to confuse me or what the deal was.
0: But. Steve, you're, you're a connoisseur of horror movies, so I'm sure there have been lots of um, belly button related horror things in past movies. But I love when they extract the the bug that they it's kind of like we're going to stick. It's like the belly button. It's like, ah, stay away from the belly button. But you know, it's such a sensitive area. It's a, it's a really effective. I, I know. Deal. I know. It's really effective, but
1: it's like every and time I see when it. When it comes out and it's sloshing around in that purplish sludge yeah, in, the, in the tube. In the tube. It would be
4: more effective if his line was delivered a little better. Jesus Christ, <laughs> that thing's real. See, that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's
3: the sort of thing where somebody other than Keanu would improve uh, the film. The secret is not to give him lines. <laughs> That's right. He should just be going ah oh! just a <laughs> and, lot of that, a lot of groaning. This scene by the way, this grossness and the the grossness and the horror of this scene and this thing is excellent. It gets even better once you realize that all of that, you know, was inside a computer simulation. It's like why does why does it have to be that gross and horrible? It's like, well, again, to some degree you have to play by the rules of the thing and the physical rep- is the physical representation of, you know, hacking or modifying the code of a running system is so much better when you abstract it entirely from real code, because God forbid you try to show someone doing real hacking, which they did, I think in one of the sequels or maybe in this movie too. I don't remember. It's so much better when you say, no, this is a metaphor for they put a bug on him and we're going to extract it. And, the metaphor is disgusting and terrible, but really, what's going on is you're just changing ones and zeros in a program, and this is just the manifestation of that. And right. That's like another scene that look that becomes more interesting in retrospect. When you first see it, it's just gross and weird. And then when you realize it was all fake, it takes on a new meaning and it becomes even more interesting. I think.
0: Well, uh, and obviously, when, watching this movie this time, I noticed the. Again, this is probably why the uh, graduate students were telling me, "Wow, to blow your mind, man." is uh, when we, Neo now goes to Morpheus and- they, they drive him to Tim Burton's Batman. <laughs> and Morpheus talks, my notes, I've got my notes in front of me for, that I took while I was watching this. Uh, and what I have written down is Morpheus talks like a fortune cookie. <laughs> yeah. Well said. It's just, it's hilarious. It's, and, and I think, you know, again, I kind of like it. I like that he is mm-hmm. a spouting off, like, philosophical, like, everything he says will is made to blow your mind. That's what his job is, is to be that guy who is going to say these things. And Lawrence Fishburne says them incredibly well, and they're these crazy things. But what I noticed this time, and I mean, I noticed the first time, but, but what I really noticed this time is, is clearly what the Wachowskis goal and message of this movie is, the underlying message is that, you know, he t- Morpheus talks about paying your tax, you see it every time you pay your taxes. The, the Matrix is society, it blots individualism and free will, the Matrix is the system, it is it is society, it is the world around us. And of course, th- that's the moment where you're like, you guys are out there, you think you're not in the Matrix, but you are in the Matrix, <laughs> yeah. uh, which is the message. I mean, it's not necessarily the the, the most shocking and deep of messages but that that clearly is what they want you thinking about this entire rest of the movie is um you know are you in your own personal matrix and morpheus is your guide to kind of like dress it up in sort of some psychedelia but it really is like you know when when he says it's when you pay your taxes it's like aha okay i get what you're doing this is a i don't i don't know what a, a and with the bugs, government agent bugs too. Is this a kind of libertarian anarchist kind of? That's
1: actually that's actually two prominent mentions of paying taxes in like the first twenty minutes of the film. Yeah, Agent Smith mentions
2: it
3: as yeah. well, and Trinity famously hacked the IRS
1: database. So right. right,
2: that's right.
3: Well, like they do balance it off. They are self aware enough to balance it because Morpheus does talk like a fortune cookie and he spouts all <laughs> this crap. But there are characters they intentionally put in the movie. Who are like that Morpheus guy? He's nuts, right? Like, like even his crew around him is like, uh, all right, Morpheus. Like they they realize he talks like a fortune cookie. They realize how ridiculous this is. And so there's skeptics in the movie. Like, we're not supposed yeah. to take him seriously. Obviously, he takes himself totally seriously, but the people around him are like, he's that Morpheus guy is a little bit off. And you know, I may or may not believe all that crazy crap that he's spouting, and it's amusing or whatever. So he is balanced by that, and I think the movie is not like. Clearly, that's Morpheus' role, but I don't think it's the filmmaker's position that, you know, hey, man, the Matrix has you every time you pay your taxes. That's That's what one character in the movie says, and other characters think he's nuts. And, like, they just, you know, try to find the balance between is Morpheus nuts? Are the skeptics right? Or what is the real situation?
1: I appreciate that a lot of the drive for Joey Pants uh, turning turncoat on them is he just can't take Morpheus's
3: P.S. any longer. <laughs> exactly. Because <laughs> like he is annoying. It's pomp- <laughs> He's a pompous ass. And
0: he's he wants yeah. a steak and he's tired of the fortune cookie. I think. Tired it's of like, eating snot. <laughs> didn't, didn't <and> realize <laughs> what he was signing up for. Joe Pandaliano, Joey Pants, who is, who is Cypher uh, and betrays everybody. Uh, yeah, he wants a steak and he didn't realize what he was su- signing up for.
4: Speaking of Morpheus, originally originally val kilmer was supposed to play that part that's what they wanted every time i watch it now i constantly like am picturing val kilmer and you know what i think that he could i think that he could pull it off pretty well
0: Well, i saw the doors he could totally do it but
1: unlike Lawrence fishburne he doesn't have Mm -hmm. the texture of a fortune cookie so it doesn't work as well (laughs) the
0: uh what else what else oh so so they they uh he takes the red pill right Take mm-hmm. We take the blue pill, you go back. We've got our, our, our whole Alice in Wonderland uh, returns here. Um, and the next scene, again, a really memorable scene. And John mentioned it earlier, is my notes say Neo wakes up in his goo coffin. He is covered yes. in goo <laughs> and he's bald. And I mean, I don't Why know whether they shot this out, out of sequence cool. so he could seem like emaciated, but he seems so... Messed up in mm. these scenes that it's actually I feel like really great.
1: Like he's got great. prosthetics or something on his chest. Yeah, he, he's he all does because sort he, of he has to. Yeah, he has to look
3: different. And like yeah. this this was the point of the movie. Like right up to the pill point, he's spouting all this crap. I'm like, what the hell is he talking about? Because it sounded like just terrible BS or whatever. As soon as they showed him in the goo, I think pretty much every sci-fi nerd is like, like oh. that every then every single piece falls into place. You don't even <laughs> need to see the end of the goo scene. As soon as you see bald guy with tubes, yeah. you're like, All right, now I understand the whole movie. And like at that point, the exhilaration of saying I understand everything that has come before and I know exactly where this movie is going. Now go like that. That was an exhilarating turn of events. Whereas I think, non-sci-fi nerds at that point in the movie have not had enough explanation at all because that fortune cookie crap makes no sense to know what's going on and like some of them make it through the whole rest of the movie like you know i'm not gonna throw any of my parents under the bus but the the, the whole rest of the movie without understanding the premise and other people have to wait for the you know the explanation later and see more of it for it to sink in so everyone has some you can put them on like a bell curve of like how long after you see red goo do you do you understand what is going on in the matrix and that could go out to infinity on the right side versus when they're
0: in the matrix, where do they park their
3: spaceship? (laughs) Exactly. Like there, that problem does exist.
1: Yeah. I I suppose he does. He does move pretty good for a guy who's never used his muscles before, though. I have to say,
3: well, you know, they, they keep, they have to keep him a certain strength. Yeah. So this is also the point where my little nerd brain started going and I started to turn against the movie because the whole, I mean, I'll, I will briefly give my, Complain about the premise no, it was like if you are a computer you know artificial intelligence that wants to rule the world the worst thing for you to do is to keep your only potential rival for the planet alive in any possible way for any reason. That is the worst decision you could ever make. And in the movie, you can say in the comic book, they explain it in the animatrix, they explain it or in the movie. There is no explanation why a super intelligent machine would keep humans around in any capacity other than to create dramatic tension.
0: Even if, even if living things were, uh, were batteries, which they're not. Yeah, I'm not even, I'm not even <laughs> getting into why that. not cows. <laughs> No. why not dogs? algae why satellites
3: not? that collect yeah, <laughs> geothermal heat like elephants the, the worst thing you can do is keep humans around and like i'm not even getting into like is it good to get energy from living things like not even discussing that just saying like the worst thing you could do is keep humans around get rid of the humans job zero this is the skynet ai
0: version of the villain not killing James Bond before he tells him his plan, yeah, Skynet
3: had the right idea. <laughs> what did Skynet want to do? Kill, Kill all everybody. the humans? Yeah. It's, it's pretty humans simple. simple. And,
1: and what is the point again of, of having to feed the battery people this dream world in uh, order to keep no, them under it, control?
3: It, it just goes locked down. Up in just their goes, little just pods. Yeah, it just goes do? downhill from there. Once you, once you've yeah. got that premise, given a false premise, see, anything follows. See, so if, you're just if, like all if right. you take
0: the science out, I actually like I like. I like to believe, and this is again going outside of the scope of the movie, but I like to believe that what's really going on here is that the machines know that they lack creativity. And they know that they that they need the humans, but they want to subjugate them, and that the Matrix exists to get that you know get the human element and get the get the creativity and the things the machines lack, and and siphon it off in in this controlled environment. I like to believe that that is what's going on there, but it's never said in the movie. It's more just like we give this thing for you to play around in while we use you as a battery, and that that's a nice statement of like human life has been reduced to being a, a Duracell battery. There's yeah. some product placement, <laughs> by the way. The problem is that they try to. <laughs> (laughs) explain a lot they
1: explain just enough that you feel like okay well they thought about some of this but then they stopped
3: yeah well but they can't get past the premise of keeping the humans around i believe in the comic book they tried to sidestep that by saying that the brain power of the humans was being uh you know used as a computational aid to like to give them more computing power because they couldn't you know their hardware wasn't sufficient so they needed to use organic brains to help them compute and that's why they needed these human brains that doesn't really hold up either My, my favorite take on this is uh and we'll probably we can talk about this more at the end. Why these two things are better than the sequels? The Animatrix animated movies, which are prequels yes. to yeah. this, they are. I like them better. Yeah. Because I like anime, I like them better than the first Matrix movie, and and they're shorter huh. as well. So that's exactly yeah. it's right up my alley. It's, it's not surprising that I like that because in those movies it explains how this AI comes to be and. That AI really wants to kill the humans. And then it kind of towards the end, you know it's going to lead off into this premise where you keep the humans around for some reason, but you can pretend that doesn't ever actually happen. So I recommend everyone go watch those if they can find them.
1: I just think it would have been even better if they had said even less about why the humans were being kept around
0: and just left it a complete mystery. We don't understand the ways of the machines well yeah especially if if the agents aren't really the machines they're just the security agents running in the matrix then yeah it would be better if it was really just like we don't even understand why they do what they do because it's
3: a terrible decision (laughs) (laughs) it's a bad idea I,
2: i assumed it was like the uh the dream state and the creativity of you know it's it's one thing to be in a coma but it's another thing to be actively living and creating and dreaming in that dream state and that that was what really charged up the batteries as it were that you know it wasn't enough for them to just be living breathing pumping blood they had to be creative too i don't think that 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 pays
3: into the it's not it's not the, the magic of the magic of emotion and thought that somehow there's this extra physical world in which our emotions are you know are harnessed into energies that are beyond the powers of machines and blah, 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 which is fine if you're going to do yeah. a superhero movie with telekinetic stuff or whatever, but if you're going to do a sci-fi movie, not so great.
2: Right.
1: sign of a film right. with great spectacle is that you're willing to say, all right, well, I'm enjoying the, uh, what's going on here enough that I'm just going to stop thinking at this point about the major yes. plot holes and <laughs> the things that they aren't explaining and i'm just going to go i do it. that
0: when the battery thing comes up i'm like yeah but ba bu- ba bu- okay
1: yeah yeah and that's something that i'm i'm willing to do with the matrix because the film is so well done in yeah. other ways
0: okay um let's see what else we got here i i wanted to mention the um the prophecy stuff. I, I'm not a big fan of the you fulfill a prophecy thing, although I, do, I think they do some very nice things with it in this in this movie, especially that moment in the plot where uh, Joe Pantoliano is basically about to pull the plug on Neo and. And there's that whole question of like, well, this can't be because we know that he's the prophecy guy and they're going to prove him wrong here. And so they they push that to the limit. Even though the actual prophecy doesn't really make a whole sense because they say that like there was a great prophet early on and we're waiting for him to return Um, which is, is, you know, it's a very, very, you know, Christian image, um, you know, and so is Neo a reincarnation of somebody or is he, you know, it's not explained, but it just seems, it seems to me like it's sort of slapped in there. Like we need something kind of mystical, um, but we'll, you know,
3: I'll explain later. <laughs> it is well, one of... I, I liked it because the the prophecy and the of the Oracle actress is great. But, like, I liked it because, like Morpheus's crap, you're like, come on. No one's expected to believe this crap. Like, it's unreliable. No, it's not accepted at face value. Uh, and in many points in the movie, like, they don't tell you, oh, this is the prophecy. It's totally going to be true. The whole time, you're like, this sounds like crap. And other characters are like, yeah, that does kind of sound like crap. And then things <laughs> happen that seem to counteract the prophecy. You're like, see, that prophecy stuff was crap. Like... They kind of try to want to have their cake and eat it too, making you disbelieve the prophecy just like Neo does, and then you believe it. And even when it all comes to fruition, you're like, "But was that the prophecy, or was that just what happened?" But I, I like that. It's like they, you know, they don't pre- present you with the prophecy and expect you to swallow it whole. They expect fully that you're going to hear this prophecy and it will sound like bogus crap. Uh, and they, that wonderful scene in the kitchen plays off of that i think deliciously requiring again counter reeves to do nothing except for look like an idiot the whole time which he does great while that mm-hmm. actress uh you know what's really going to crumble your cookie later or whatever you know that that whole bake scene your noodle bake your noodle yeah
4: bake your noodle
3: like it could get much more baked
4: <laughs> but they were actually they were sort of threading that throughout the film um <clears throat> and i like that they sort of walked a fine line and said that you don't necessarily need to believe this but even at the beginning the uh you know the the twerky guy at the beginning says you're my own personal jesus christ and then you've got him you know flying away at the end he's he's definitely some sort of you know he dies christ-like superhero figure rises again at least
0: his name isn't like john john uh john carroll or something like that where it's like oh. john from cincinnati another Jason. tolkien tie-in
3: here is like the i believe it's the end of it's either the hobbit or lord of the Rings. someone in the chat room will tell you where uh gandalf says to uh, i guess it's the hobbit gandalf says to bilbo and says surely you don't disbelieve the prophecies just because you had a part in bringing them about like gandalf's big thing is like you know bilbo's like <laughs> i did all this stuff look what i did and he's like well it doesn't mean the prophecy wasn't true just because you helped bring it about you know you were a tool of the prophecy versus being your own free agent Yeah, Gandalf and the Oracle would have some disagreements about prophecy, probably.
2: (laughs) Well, I mean, that's one of the things that really tickled me the first time I watched it, too, was, again, just seeing all the the little religious allegories and little things they stuck in there, and not from any one particular religion. It's all
0: over the place and and, and not taken too seriously. Like, the whole Oracle scene, I feel like, actually is great because... Morpheus is so serious about it and she totally the Oracle totally diffuses it. It's like this is not yeah, nah, nah it's not that yeah. serious. Well a cookie, have a cookie. You're not too bright. Have a cookie. And just
4: the <laughs> fact that she's completely, completely subverting your expectations as being, you know, oh my gosh, we're going to see the Oracle. The Oracle, the Oracle. It's so exciting. And then you get there and she's just this this cute little old lady who's baking cookies in a very nondescript apartment.
1: Yeah, she lives in the in the Brady
0: Bunch's kitchen. hmm Yeah, and and she and she also, completely co- contradicts Morpheus, right? She's like, "Nah, sorry, kid, you're not the one." Which is like, "Oh, what yep. a relief!" Keanu
3: is not the one. And they hinted like, "Well, what did she tell Morpheus?" She
4: never actually says that, though. If you listen I know. to the exact words she says, she never. She just says, kind of like, mm, "Looks like you're waiting for something."
3: Yeah,
0: disappointment. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah. No, it's great, and, and that's. So I can talk about like, oh, you know, there was a person before and all that. But I, I feel like that's the setup, right? It's like we're supposed to buy into Morpheus's crate. He's super excited. It's like, I finally, this is my thing. I find the one and I finally found him. It's really awesome. And then you go there and it's like, meh, don't get too excited about it.
3: And, and then Morpheus doesn't want to hear what he doesn't want to hear about. It's like, no, don't tell me what she told you. No, it's, he's it's still awesome. he in my illusions. You know? I know it's awesome, but you can't tell me. But it's super <laughs> awesome.
0: Although I, I again I have a note down here is like is the, who is the Oracle is she a program or something but I think that's what the sequels talk about and it's it's sort of but I, I like I like that anyway they leave the Oracle and we get the we get the black cat who's the glitch in the Matrix which is every now and then I see a black cat out in the street and I'm like is that is it the glitch in the Matrix
4: <laughs> deja <Déjà> vu
0: <laughs> makes me uh, paranoid um, it's like when I pay my taxes I no that never happens I never think <laughs> about the Matrix when I pay my taxes um, oh we skipped over there is no spoon which you know yeah. it has become like a catchphrase although at the time i was like oh yeah there's weird kids with a with a spoon but there's the
1: whole training
0: sequence and stuff too that
1: goes on before
0: that oh yeah i should say i know kung fu wait i sorry yeah, i skipped right over right. that which is the oh, in, yeah. the instant learning that's one of my favorite scenes it's a great in the scene movie. yeah the the whole instant yeah, learning fantastic. concept and the and they're in the white room and they're doing yes. their their training and that's that's your really like your virtual reality movie and this is the i think I looked it up. I think Crouching Hi- Tiger, Hidden Dragon came out the following year in 2000. Yes. So I think yeah, this was is after. the first movie I really saw with extensive wire work and this style of fighting as somebody who didn't see a lot of Hong Kong action movies or anything like that. It's a, a very it, it's, and it's, it's, it's it's
2: the same choreographer.
0: Yeah. So we've seen it. We've seen it since. But at the time I was like, whoa, this is not like anything I think me and a lot of Western audiences had ever seen in terms of
3: fighting. But but not just the action, like they did the genre of like the, the, the kung fu movie you'd see like in the afternoon on Saturday mornings when we were kids. You know, you're granted the wire work makes it more impressive, but the basic premise of like, oh, you're master and student being taught, stop trying to hit me and hit me, like that fits in any kung fu movie I watched. Sure, it's growing the, the karate. You don't kid. need to you don't need virtual reality, <laughs> you don't need wire foo. It's just like and that's the great thing about these movies with virtual reality is within them you can have as many small genre movies as you want. It's not the hollow deck, so they're not going to be like detectives in the forties, but like they could be <laughs> if they wanted. So, right in the middle of this movie, they had a tiny master student training sequence in which the student has to believe and fails, and he tries to do the jump, and that's. That just tickles me that you can you can just mix in other genres in this type of movie and they would go on two movies later to squander that premise by not using it again.
4: <laughs> yeah, it's kind of way. the genius of the film that that they can really do whatever it is that they want because they're in the matrix, so they yeah. can they can massage it anyway. I have to say, I don't like action sequences. That's one of the things that I'm kind of well known for amongst my friends. I think they're boring. I can't stand fight scenes and gunfights and car chases and all that kind of stuff but i love almost every single action sequence in this film and i was thinking about it today and i think i realized why it's because i don't like action movies well i don't like action sequences but i do like dance movies whether it be from like fred, <laughs> ah. fred astaire and ginger roger's back in the 40s or something obnoxious you know with you know stupid you got dance movies west side yeah.
3: <laughs> story must be your favorite movie actually I, I, don't never that oh. I don't like musicals
4: but i do like <laughs> but you know like the center stage or say the last dance was really you know bad ones and i feel like i feel like the action sequences were almost balletic i mean it, it, with the wire work with the slow motion with the, the interesting camera movements and they're very personal it's you know especially the training sequence one it's it's one on one and i was just riveted now, i think this is the first movie that i was ever that into the action of hey
3: it's like the princess bride or empire strikes back where there is a there is a story going on between two characters and the fight scene is the way in which they express that story rather than just like i hate you i hate you we will have conflict and a victor will emerge <laughs> like you know, you know there is there is a scene that takes place during the fight and the fighting is the backdrop for you know how how they progress in their understanding of each other or whatever and the, the action scenes that people get bored at is there is nothing going on. There is no, there is no story to be told. There is no. You don't even need to necessarily have dialogue, but there's just nothing. Like we've set up the premise: these guys hate each other. One guy, maybe one guy is chasing and one guy is running away, or vice versa, or they're going to fight each other until someone's dead, and then it just plays out, and that's boring. Versus, you know, the Princess Bride duel or the End of Empire Strikes Back, where there's story element going on uh, during the fight.
2: Well, and also, if you watch every action sequence in The Matrix breaks the rules of action sequences it it sort of assumes that you know the genre it assumes that you know how this is supposed to work and then oh my god she can fly through a window oh my god we didn't know she could do that or you know they can fling each other by the the ankles and you know throw them across the room and you know every one of those action sequences breaks the cliches of what should happen
1: or
0: they did at the time then not so much anymore Right. This yeah. is true. In comic books, one of the most boring things, boring conventions is heroes meet and then they fight each other. And then they realize that they're on the same side and they stop fighting. But mm-hmm. they have to fight because you've got to have that moment where it's like, boy, wasn't it awesome when when Thor and Iron Man fought each other before <laughs> they realized they were friends? Well, so the the fight scene between um, Morpheus and Neo in The Matrix is... I mean it's training right so it's the same kind of thing and and I always find those things really boring too absolutely mm-hmm. and and that that helps this too is that you're so caught up in the exhilaration of of, of Neo learning Kung Fu and having this fight that is, is of a kind that you ha- probably haven't seen before that it doesn't matter that it, it's all not, not real not only in the sense that it's not real because it's in virtual reality but not real in the sense that they're just sparring and there
3: are no stakes and it doesn't matter that the stakes are will Neo learn exactly yeah like he's not he's not teaching him kung fu he's teaching them he's trying to like that's proxy teaching the audience because like he's he's trying to bring the audience the audience who has not yet caught up and taunting neo with his lack of understanding even though neo intellectually understands he doesn't really understand and that's the type of thing where the audience may intellectually understand how the matrix works but they don't believe it at a root level so when morpheus taunts neo and says you think that's air you're breathing when he's like out of breath? Like just trying to (laughs) hammer it home, like you don't understand, you're not actually here, even though it looks like you are, even though the scene looks like a kung fu scene, you are not actually here, and Neo can't get it because he's a stump. And a lot of the audience <laughs> hasn't hasn't quite <laughs> internalized it either. You know, it was like we know, like maybe you're like, oh, okay, I understand this is a simulation. But during the action scene, you get caught up with it, and you're like, oh, I wonder if he's going to fight that. Wait a second, why are they why are they even fighting at all? Why why is there any conflict at all? Which I why well, I think that the payoff at the end, where Neo's like, you know, we'll get to it, but. It says why? Why are we fighting each other by hitting each other? Makes no sense. Stop. The
4: conflict value is is ratcheted up a little bit because you are then joined by the other characters on the ship. You know, Morpheus is fighting Neo, and like you know, Switch jumps over the table. An old in man, like it's, like, it's like to see this <laughs> it's gathering around yeah. the Street
3: Fighter cabinet in the arcade.
4: <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah, or,
0: yeah. Or 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 Mr. Spock and Dr. McCoy watching Captain Kirk fight the Gorn. But I'm very old. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> that that um, was real, Jason.
1: Two two comments on uh Neo's training regimen. First of all, if you want to keep the new guys from freaking out when they learn what the Matrix is, you might be well served not to drop them in the middle of a wasteland and lay heavy lines on them like welcome to the desert of the real. <laughs>
3: <laughs> uh, Morpheus lives for that though.
0: Yeah, no, uh, Morpheus is
2: his he- theatrical
0: Underneath the surface, yeah, he's theatrical and dramatic and very excited about prophecies. And he's like, I'm going to be the, you know, right? I'm going to be that guy. It's my job. I'm going to be, I love being that guy. But at the, at the same time, he, he has to apologize to him later
1: because they don't pull guys out of the matrix when they're over a certain age because they react poorly. And you right. think he would know that before doing Just that. Just baby him a little is bit. too old. Yes. This, too old
0: to begin the training. Steve, this is Morpheus babying him. You should see what he does to those kids. Boo. <laughs> so I want to, I want to talk about, um, when Joey Pants, Cypher, makes his move and um, they get to the room with the telephone to get, get out of the Matrix and uh, he cuts them off and he and he starts killing people. Because this is this is a I I I like this scene, but it is a terrifying, horrible scene. Um, and, and, but I think very powerful. And this is the moment where we get ultimately the, um, you know, is the prophecy full of crap that you know was what the uh what the oracle said uh you know was she suggesting that neo isn't the one and is morpheus making a terrible mistake here and but in the run up to that we do get this you know it, awful and yet um kind of quiet and 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 beautiful in a strange way uh scene where the people are being unplugged out in the ship but in the uh in the building they're just kind of falling to the ground, and it's it's horrifying, and yet in a way that is very different from, again, as somebody who doesn't really appreciate seeing people get kind of mowed down by a hail of bullets, this is a I think it's more awful and terrifying and memorable that these people just fall down dead um, as the voice on the other end of the line is talking to Trinity about what he's doing. It's a it's a really uh, powerful scene that has stuck with me. Uh, particularly the bit where Switch turns and says, not like this. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh my
4: God. Yeah, as I said before, this is yeah. not a film about character development, and I think this, this scene is one of the few real emotional beats we get in this film. And I think it stands out all the more because of it, because the rest of the film is, is more about sort of the story and the doings and less about the feelings.
3: Because finally they get to the point where they think most of the audience understands the separation, and then they have somebody kill somebody in the really real world for realsies, right? And And hammering home the point that when you go into the Matrix, you give up agency of your actual physical body, the one that counts. Like, all this playing in the Matrix and all these skills that you have and the way you're dressed there and all the fanciness, while you're doing that you can't stop him from unplugging your head because you're there and because of the rules of the thing, you got to get to the landline and everything. So they, you know, it's it's kind of like they're now stranded. Like they have just... Uh, you know, it's the ghost door in, uh, in Lock and Key, right? They've they've separated. Their mm. body still exists. It's yeah. there, but they're not in control of it anymore. I mean, he and... doesn't
1: really do anything that should technically kill them. It's just that their consciousness is no longer attached to their body, and then he disconnects the two. Right. So at once right.
3: they were so powerful being able to do all this wire-foo inside the Matrix, but really they're entirely powerless because their bodies are in these chairs and they're in their terrible uh, target sweatpants. <laughs>
1: Hang on a second. We must talk about the Target sweatpants. My, my,
0: my wife is a knitter, and she actually noticed this time something she did. wasn't a knitter in 1999. She's like, wow, in the future, they've got all of this distressed knitting. That was her, yes. that was her you know, day. And it's
1: weird because they've got a machine that can knit human muscle, but they can't put together a decent sweatshirt. <laughs>
4: It's because the machine is working on muscles all yeah. the time.
3: Yeah, the the, the the muscle machine works, but the knitting machine is on the fritz. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's hard to get good cotton in the
0: desert of the real.
4: They I actually think. had to take the knitting, the shirt knitting machine, and uh, you know, to jack it up to work on muscles because the original muscle machine broke. Yeah,
0: Priorities. the only the only the only knitting uh, machine in in the future is in Zion, and it's hard to get stuff from Zion, I guess. But
4: shipping's a bitch.
0: Yeah, I, I like it though. I like I like that I like the art direction in in the other world. But the fact that it's you know if this movie were made today after after like Traffic came out, I think the, the film grade would be much more aggressive. I think not to get too more movie nerdy, but like it would be even bluer and colder and and even warmer inside the matrix than it already is but i I like that it looks different and it feels different and it really is crappy and that that helps you understand kind of the motivation of of joey pants i think more than the desert of the real kind of scene (laughs) well it's it's, it's not not just it's just like this works out here
3: they did green in the matrix which is very off-putting and i think they did ramp it up really because now when i watch i'm like boy they really greened it up in the matrix didn't they i I think that works to be be off-putting like it looks But it's also it looks it looks a little bit looks wrong. a little wrong. Like, why, is yeah. it, why is it green? That's that's ugh. actually
4: one of my favorite parts of the film. Just how completely stylized and immersive it is. Um, yeah. You get you know the the greenish the yellow versus the blue, and the Matrix feels very almost noir. You've got a lot of rain and thunder and these tall buildings and and the phones. We keep talking about the phones. That's oh, yeah. another thing you see in you know old detective movies and stuff. And then on the on the other side, it feels so different. Not only does it look different, but it just has this sort of like you just feel damp watching. It. like it's just like i'm I, I, you get cold
0: yeah and it's unpleasant yeah. it's it's you should be excited it's like oh we're on a hovercraft in the future things should be awesome now and it's not it's 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 gr- it's dirty and crappy and they're kind of they're wearing, in the sewers yeah and then welding stuff together and and it's uh and, and bad knitting distress knitting in the future yep. so <laughs> so it's everything that is you know the future is here and it's terrible it's, it's got the yeah. it
3: the alien slash you know star wars Slash the abyss, kind of dirty, grim future, and I, right. I think that like their their ship, that little hover ship, is a cool looking ship, and it's interesting that the most futuristic things in the movie are not inside the Matrix because that's just plain old nineteen ninety nine with, you know, with agents. But outside, there's the possibility of really cool stuff like the you know the, the what do you call it the Sentinel. Squid, yeah, the Sentinels. They look really cool. Their the ship awesome. looks really cool. Like you know, inside the Matrix, anything can happen. A
1: killing machine designed for one thing, and that one thing is search and destroy yeah. that's
3: two and things they're, pre- they're pretty and they're pretty like they're scary and intimidating and you know menacing
1: also you started out by calling it a
0: killing machine wouldn't that be the one thing that's designed <laughs> for killing oh also somebody in the chat room points out and i did not know this but he says newer dvds of the matrix have actually um ramped up the film grade to match the film grade in the sequels and that originally it wasn't quite as green which i didn't I don't know if that's true or not, really? but that's an interesting idea uh-huh. that that could explain why it looked greener to, to me when I saw it yeah, I just i suppose i you know I, I suppose what I was expecting it, now that we live in a world where there's so much aggressive film film grading um in movies color color shifts that the the real world would be much more aggressively kind of cold and that and, and the matrix would be more warm and really, but instead it's, you're right. It's sort of like you can go into our weird, cold green world or our weird, cold blue world. Mm-hmm. And there's no comfort zone in either place. And maybe that's, maybe that's what they
3: intended. Well, they didn't, they didn't fuzz anything out. Like I think about traffic when I think about this, even before like 300, remember the movie traffic? Like yeah. where mm-hmm. they just, blew it out with like it's almost like a black and white movie but with yellow and just huge film grain no no we're we're in mexico
0: no i think i mentioned traffic a couple minutes ago i mean that was the start of the oh we're south of the border everything is yellow now (laughs) right it's just like the film grade became the storytelling
3: yeah and they do that you know to a lesser extent in individual scenes when you're showing war footage or stuff like that but then it culminates in something like 300 where it's like okay this isn't actually you know, this is a painting. <laughs> yeah every every frame has been photoshopped <laughs> or, or or Sin City. You know, whatever.
0: All right, so so um they the moving ahead, they uh, decide. So so um Morpheus has been taken by Agent Smith. Yes,
1: because for some reason the leader of every ship is given codes to Zion's mainframe. Mainframe. They're still using mainframe.
3: You were supposed to future? have turned your brain off by this point. Remember, uh, everybody. Yeah. Just, I can't help own, it for its own safety. You should have hit it away. Is there a moment <laughs> it where it where somebody
0: goes click 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 click? I'm in. <laughs> like Willow and Buffy the Vampire Slayer it's like every hacker scene ever um I'm in I'm into the secret mainframe of yeah never mind anyway so they get Morpheus and what this means is that they can set up this thing where we're supposed to abandon Morpheus Neo is the one Morpheus isn't important anymore he's fulfilled his purpose he's found the one and and that that makes Neo say no I'm going to go get I'm going to go get Morpheus um and he gets lots of guns and they say nobody's ever done this before um, and that's why it will work yeah and we get the we get the inter interplay where there's i really like the t- i think there are two interrogation intercut scenes between smith and morpheus where morpheus is tied to the chair and i i mentioned it earlier i love the i hate this place yeah. it's the smell and he says i fear i've been infected by it which i really <laughs> like it's like maybe yeah. these, these agents are getting worse because they're getting more like us <laughs> I love that. I like that mm. he
4: says it's the smell, if there even is such a thing. Yeah, it's and like, he touches yeah,
0: his yeah. sweat and gets mm-hmm. it yeah. on his hand, and then he smells it, and it's like whoa. And we
3: are we are spared the terrible dialogue that would have existed if they had Morpheus arguing with them. You'll never get anything from me. What does Morpheus do? The whole scene looks like he's basically he rolls his having eyes, a, back. having he's, a stroke. Yeah, which is out, which yeah. is yeah. the best we could hope for. There, there are no fortune cookies <laughs> for a situation like this. Yeah, because <laughs> you can't have him like arguing. I will never bend to your will. Like that would be terrible. It's the much. The wise man remains. Sigo weaving, you know, do his sort of <laughs> soliloquy yeah. wiping the sweat off his face with his fingers, like that's that's what makes that scene. Yeah.
4: Well he's got mercury running through his veins at that point, so he's kind of busy trying to just keep it together.
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But I love I love that. That's that this is the moment this is for Agent Smith to shine where we see that he's he's um he has this great disdain not just for humans but for the matrix itself like I don't want to be here I want to get out of here get me the codes to the mainframe and I can leave you stupid humans and your stinky stinky matrix behind it's great um but the guns the guns thing so this is I, I remember um First time I saw this, I I think the Roger Ebert review of this is fairly positive and he mentions that all the street names are Chicago street names and and at one point one of the um intersections in the movie that's mentioned is where the movie theater is that he saw the movie while they were watching it and he says, I half expected oh. them to run into the movie theater during this. But he he I, I believe it's the Ebert review that says for a movie that's so Innovative in so many things. The fact that that there's this large section at the climax of the movie that is just a spray of hundreds and hundreds of bullets and exploding like marble in the especially in the lobby. I think that and I agree with that. I think that scene is the weakest scene in the movie. I, I think love it's those clips really. That's my floor, favorite too. scene I, in the I movie. I think it's boring. I think I think the <laughs> there first, is a lot of dancing. I feel really bad about. I, I feel really bad about the, uh, the security guards. Are they real people who are dying in their little goo pods, or are well, they, they just? They they are. are. They, they rationalize that characters? for you earlier in the movie.
1: They're part of the program, Jason. You're not supposed to feel bad for them.
4: No, I don't know. Because any single one of them could turn into an agent, into an agent. at any time. So the the idea is to kill as many as fast as possible, so Jason, the agents can't.
3: That get scene seems to should, just Jason, go on a little too long. For acceptable me, acceptable losses, etc. That's a second comic book reference. I know. I love podcast.
0: I love the beginning. Yeah, I know. I'm impressed. I'm impressed, John. Um, I, I love the beginning where. Putting the the bag full of guns and the metal detector <laughs> that is wonderful. That is wonderful. Yeah. I just feel like that the the slow motion, uh, you know, shells falling to the floor. The entire lobby is demolished, and then they get in. I feel like it goes on too long, and it, it's not. Th- there are way more interesting action sequences in there. So uh, that's my that's I my take on it.
4: Disagree. Go for more. it. Like I said, like I said I usually don't like action scenes at all and for some reason there's something about this one in particular that it was just always my favorite. This the scene was almost one of the main reasons I kept going back to see the movie again and again because I wanted to see each piece of this. Um, it, and I think sound for this particular scene has a lot to do with it. The mm. music and the sound mixing. Like you mentioned the the shells falling to the oh, floor. Yeah. I mean they just they tinkle they and do. it's just this sweet music and you know on this backdrop of you know hard driving whatever propeller heads or something song in the background, and it it, it to me it really does kind of read more like a dance number than an yeah. action sequence. So You're for me it goes on just. Th- mm-hmm.
0: Well, I mean when when he starts doing like cartwheel kind of stuff, it is yeah, yeah. essentially essentially that.
3: I, yeah okay. Well, they Fair found enough. they found a material like the pillars. The pillars, I think, are supposed to be made of marble, but they look like they're made of like compressed newspaper insulation or something. And it <laughs> makes for, yeah, and it makes for visually interesting things happening during the scene, even before people start flipping around. Like they have the long trench coats. It's kind of a cliche of like you know, it became more of a cliche after long trench coat, shells falling to the ground. Yep. Again, a lot of this is from anime. A lot of a lot of the things you yeah. see in this movie had been, you know, cliches in anime for years and years before. Uh and it's a fight sequence that had things going on visually that were different than most fight sequences that had been seen up to that point and then would become very common afterwards. And it does go on maybe a little bit long uh, but there is no like because the enemy is faceless, there is no uh story happening during this thing it 's merely they want to continue their progression to get up to where Morpheus is, and these faceless people want to stop them they 're either suppose. going to make it through they 're either going to make it through or they 're not, and so it 's not as interesting as you know the training scene where there 's something happening with the characters. Uh, I kind of I, agree. There's not that as I'm if li- there's a security guard going but I was 2 days from retirement. <laughs> right. There's not no no comedy relief it's taken very seriously, you know.
4: I think maybe I found this to be sort of transportive on a, a sheerly aesthetic it's level. Visually. Be- yeah. Because Oh yeah. And that's that's really something that's either going to hit you or it's not. So I can completely understand why this would not be your favorite scene in this movie. But I mean, I almost wish I did drugs so that I could (laughs) just get high and watch that scene over and over again, because I feel like (laughs) that would just make it even cooler. You'd be better off
3: watching Crouching Tiger, I think, and doing those same. drugs.
4: Yeah, Yeah. I I do need to see that at some point.
3: Oh, you definitely oh, you need to see that. Oh yeah, yeah. There, there's so much. There's so
0: much. I, I don't know. Maybe it's just a reaction to the guns. Is like you, you know all this kung fu, and yet you're just going to kind of open up with a spray of bullets. And I don't know. There's something about it that that just it doesn't doesn't excite me so much as the other action scenes in this movie. But I get it. It certainly is indelible. I mean, I remember every every single shot in that
3: scene <laughs> absolutely
0: and the quiet and the silence at the end right yeah when, that's a little
3: comedy ding. beat when like it all ends and you realize the absurdity of what just happened <laughs> yes. that other little
4: and piece of, the marble chunk of marble falls, marble falls to yeah. the yeah
0: yeah and the yeah. elevator opens and
4: yeah he picks up the duffel bag drops the gun turns on his heel and walks into the elevator yeah and then he says there is
1: no spoon
0: and blows up the elevator for no reason <laughs> No, no, he blows up the ground floor so that they can't send any reinforcements up higher into the building. That's why they do that is they blow up reinforcements. They've already taken them all out. Well, the rest of the Matrix, right? There's still everybody else in the Matrix, except at the subway station, which is totally abandoned. But we'll get to that in a second. But yeah, that's that's the rationale. So so then they get up on the roof Uh, because that's where you go and they take out the guys on the roof and there's that that amazing bullet time stuff which again like I said it's like morphing where like morphing in Terminator 2 is like whoa what's going on and then it was in every commercial and it was in Michael Jackson videos and all these other things and it was much less interesting then this is like that where the bullet time stuff this was so groundbreaking when it was done and now it's like not that exciting but it's still really nice to see that scene where You know, he's essentially, what would it be like if you could dodge bullets? It's like, this is what it would be like. And then when it's all said and done, he's laying on the ground and she says, how'd you do that? And he's like, oh, you know, I got, but it made a hole in my, in my jacket. So I didn't do it good enough. Right. It's great. It's great. But it's been done now to death. Yeah.
4: Yeah. Actually, I just watched this uh, a couple months ago with my spouse and he had never seen it before. And I just the movie did not have the same punch for him because he has seen all of the the things that have sort of tried right. to redo it. In most cases, not as well. This is the first one of those. I know. And I, he, he said he said, I know I, I tried to keep that in my head. And if I had seen this at the time, I probably would have affected me more. But so he cerebrally. He was able to understand that it was cool, but it just didn't affect him on a gut level.
3: The dodging the bolts one works story wise though, like even though they linger on the effect longer than they need to for modern audiences because we're not that impressed by it, the fact that it spontaneously occurs to him to attempt to do this and that he doesn't quite do it right and, you know, almost gets shot anyway and doesn't and can't explain why he did it is nice and yeah. fits in better than yeah. the, you know, like I'm suddenly magic like there's a there's a nice ramp for him from being the doofus to being the guy who puts up his hand at the end of the movie. Well, and she says you you move like them.
0: And yeah. we when we see them move, it's not understandable. It's like they've got three heads or forearms and they're half opaque and it's very confusing. And then we see it from his perspective, essentially. Well, what really is happening is time slows down and I'm able to do this. And so it's like, oh,
3: that's what he's and doing. He's, he's falling over when he does it, too. Yeah. He's like, he's like, I, am I falling? But I'm not actually falling. I'm kind of falling. And at the end of the thing, he does fall on his butt. He's on his yeah. back and he's like, Ew. you know, it was not particularly graceful.
0: No, no, but he managed to dodge mostly and just get a hole in his in his sleeve. I actually what I really love in this scene and I'd forgotten how much I love it is when the helicopter smashes into the building. Now that I wrote it in my notes. That is a spectacular explosion and the ripple of the glass and all that that if I'm going to see an action movie and I'm going to get a big explosion. I want that explosion. That is a great explosion. And, and the ripple effect is great.
4: I love the explosion, but the rest of that scene of them, you know, shooting into the room with Morpheus and somehow not hitting him, but hitting no. all the agents. Um, <laughs> yeah. it, it, that's, that's the most boring action sequence for, to my mind. I
0: wrote down, they, they're awfully careful with their indiscriminate machine gun fire <laughs> from a helicopter.
3: <laughs> well, Neo can slow time, so he can probably aim properly in that time. They spend a lot of time looking at shell casings fall into the water, which, again, is a very <laughs> anime, anime type of thing to do because anime action scenes are all about putting the camera not on what's happening, but on some tangential thing and implying what has happened. And they do a live action version of that, which is fine. It's very stylized. And, yeah. But, you know, it wasn't what people expected to see. That, I did, but,
0: you, you'd expect that scene where, where, they, where Morpheus like, sees them and til- tilts his chair over or something but instead he's just sitting there the whole time as they you're right yeah that is i thought about that too it's like that that's silly but i love when the helicopter smashes in and and that is a fun scene where he ties it would be really funny if he tied the 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 hose or whatever is the rope to himself and then the the helicopter just plunges down and pulls him off
3: because you can't (laughs) stop that yet. but and the ripple effect when it hits the building another great thing where they don't they don't explain to you, wait, why did the building ripple like that? That wasn't, some, do some people think it was a badly done effect and they didn't know how to do a good effect? Like, and the reason it's put there is to remind you once again, even though you think you're watching an action scene, none of this is really happening. And there doesn't need to be an explanation of why this big ripple effect happened because it's all a big computer program and it's just, you know, it's like, it's like in a game when there's like clipping effects where a fire, a fire effect clips through a wall that it shouldn't or whatever. You accept it in the game because, like, well, it's all made up anyway and the simulation's not perfect.
0: All right, I, I guess that takes us to the subway. And like I said, the matrix is full of people, but the subway station is not. <laughs> Nobody <laughs> in the matrix guy. takes public transportation. I think this There's is what the we the necessary learned. bum to turn into the agent and that's and,
3: it. And the driver of the train.
0: Of the train, right? Oh, that's right, that's right. But um it, you know, it, it's a it's this is our this is our big climactic fight scene and um and I, I like the scale of it. We've had the giant action scene on the top of the building. This is the smaller scale version where we get um where we get Smith and Neo fighting in the train station and doing some kung fu and some smashing into things and destroying you know, destroying walls and things like that.
4: You get a little hint of another genre as well. You've got sort of the spaghetti western sort of thing instead of a tumbleweed. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. discarded the newspapers newspaper. drift by instead of tumbleweed.
3: <laughs> yeah, you're it's right. Awesome. You're right. right. Where's all that wind come from? I the guess showdown. The train. There's a yeah. train. Oh. Yeah, sure. And the story in this fight scene, like, there actually is a story otherwise would be boring. The story in this entire fight scene is, you know, as as narrated slightly ham-fistedly by whoever was watching it, like, Neo is starting to believe. And Neo decides, like, after, after you know, he'd already had the revelation of, like, I can pick up this, you know, I'm going to stop this helicopter from going off. Now he's like, all right, if I can grab a helicopter when it's falling off the building, why can't I fight this guy? What what does he have that I don't have? And so now I'm going to actually fight him. And it's fun that it doesn't work out quite the way he wants it to like he barely escapes with his life more or less
0: i like that th- they end up on the tracks because that's just a primal fear of anybody who's waited for a train anywhere it's like no 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 <laughs> too close to the tracks no no they're on the tracks no um uh, but of course it doesn't and neo has had the crap beat out of him but he's finally won and of course what happens is the driver steps off the train and it's Agent smith and that's the moment where neo's like yeah okay i'm gonna run now <laughs> yeah but it's like wait
3: why am i even fighting these guys because it's like if i if i help. win if i win have i won because you know that you know he, he thinks he's like i finally figured it out i can beat them and then he says wait no what am i thinking of they can become anybody this is stupid
0: yeah and so then we end up um we end up with the last sequence of the movie which is uh neo in the building in the heart of the heart of the city hotel again or motel and uh and then intercut with the Sentinel attack, Sentinel Strike on the hovercraft, where they're they're cutting into the ship and and they're ready to blast the EMP, which will kill Neo, but it'll also, you know, kill the Sentinels. And um and what I wrote down here is, but prophecies save the day. I love prophecies. They always they always uh they've got your back. Prophecies have your back. Prophecies and love. Yeah. Last minute declarations of love. It, it's true. Love prophecies are the ones that really save the day because Trinity, <laughs> of course, says—that's right. It doesn't—my note doesn't say I love prophecies. It says love prophecies save the day because she says, they told me I would fall in love with you, and I'm in love with you, so you've got to be the one, and she kisses him, and he comes back to life, and it's nice. You know, it's funny that the Oracle told Neo exactly what he needed to hear, and, mm-hmm. and
1: everybody else who went to see her got exactly the truth. Yep. Just not Neo. He only got what he <laughs> needed to
0: hear. And a cookie.
4: And it, and a very crunchy cookie. It yes. was like crack. But
0: <laughs> serious Foley.
4: <laughs> I really did not like the uh, like the ending. The first few times I saw this, because I didn't like the idea of it being all schmaltzy. Love saves the day at the end, because I kind of think it tends to bother me, especially in a science fictiony movie. But over the years, uh, having watched it a few more times, I've managed to sort of retcon it a little bit in my (laughs) head (laughs) because these are the things that i have to do to make it work for me um but i i feel like maybe it's not that she uh, it's not that her loving him is is what does it perhaps he actually just has to die within the matrix in order to achieve his full potential because he's not going to be able to recognize that you know that he's able to Sort of like splitting the connection between between the reality and the Matrix because he can clearly hear Trinity. I mean, not only the, right. the de- declaration of love, which sort of kicks him into gear, but after that when he's you know looking after the agents and she yells Neo and he turns around and comes right back to her. So I think m- maybe the the thing that makes him the one is the fact that he, at, at this point in, in the trilogy, the non-trilogy, mm. is the fact <laughs> that he's able to exist in both worlds simultaneously. Therefore, his death doesn't actually become a death right so it doesn't really have that much to do with the prophecy the prophecy just told us it was going to happen it's not because she loves him it's just that's that's an effect rather than a cause
3: but it's kind of a shame that she falls in love with him though because like this character that you were so excited by in the beginning quickly falls into the role of main character's girlfriend for no reason and they have no chemistry (laughs) and there's no reason they would be in love and read
0: they share hobbies kung fu (laughs) fighting the (laughs) oppressive machine overlords
3: Uh, leather pants
1: really stupid looking sunglasses <laughs> distressed knitting
2: <laughs> i i loved the fact that it ends with her basically giving him a kiss and waking him up because you've got all these yeah you know, and they, they they're explicit about it oh he's sleeping it, they say. beauty yes because they have alice in wonderland Aww. and they have the wizard of oz throughout and they they're very blatant about those and then here's sleeping beauty sneaking in at the end and they don't really they don't force it they're just like eh, because they're waking everybody up from the matrix <sighs> Wait
3: Whoa! Wow, yeah. far out, man! You got to see this movie. It's a really good way to play <laughs> your mind, man. The, the climax of the movie for me was not the you know love conquers all scene, but the once he is actually awake, the final the, the final revelation on his path of, during the entire movie of not knowing what's going on is when they all shoot bullets at him and he puts up his hand and says no, and like that mm. that you yes. know makes ridiculous every fight scene that had come before it because again, like you know. With, uh, it was kind of ridiculous when when he was learning the kung fu stuff. You think that's air you're breathing? It's like, well, why are we even punching each other? This is a computer program. I don't have to play this <laughs> game at all. They can shoot right. the bolts on me. I'll be like, no, that's not going to happen. Bolt stop, fall to the ground, and then he tilts his head to the side, and then like they have the hallway bow out and do all those effects. Yeah, that is the culmination of you know really understanding that there is no spoon, and it was I thought it was a fitting way to finish the movie. And the love plot is just like. All right, yeah, do that too. Fine. It's
0: well, that's you know, it's intercut, and, and you're, you're getting those two different takes. Also, I while I was watching this again with having not seen it in a few years, it's like, oh, yeah, that's why the Daleks stop the bullets in Doctor Who in that same effect. <laughs> it's like, oh, that was a they were ripping off the matrix, right? I remember this is the first time I saw hmm. that scene, which they've reused a few times. It's like, right. Hmm? Right that's where that comes from this such a, and that's the thing that somebody who sees this for the first time now might not realize because again we've seen that all of these things a million times now so much, many of these things were immediately taken and riffed on by everybody else because it yeah. was and and granted, it was not a wholly original thing, and there are lots of things that were being cribbed from anime and cribbed from you know Asian cinema. But uh, for Western audiences, and I think Western, a lot of Western filmmakers and TV makers, this was that revelatory moment of like, oh my god, did you see that scene or this scene or this scene? And it spawned a whole. Then
4: again, uh, the Matrix was in Doctor Who in 1977. That's so true. It did predate this
0: in the best title of any Doctor Who episode ever, The Deadly Assassin, um, <laughs> because that's how I like my assassins deadly
4: deadly well they're effective then killing machines
0: at the end neom leaves his phone call on an answering machine for the matrix and um <laughs> but what i really love about it is he he says you know something about a world without your control and it ends with the the system failure and i had that moment of like get it get it the system is gonna fail our system <laughs> line. is a failure ha ha when wow. you pay your taxes <laughs>
3: <laughs> and, then, and then he and then he flies away and he flies course, up, well just, that,
0: that's great right because it's like the final culmination like yeah he can fly and stuff now I mean, of course he can fly. why
3: why wouldn't why he wouldn't be he? able to fly why wouldn't he fly the whole time in fact in sequels i bet he flies the whole time and stops all oh, way he doesn't do that I no guess. Right, never, but never imagine mind. if there was a sequel what would how awesome that would yeah, be i mean like that's the promise yeah. they can't fulfill because once you've ramped him up to infinite power the sequels either would have to change the rules entirely or be boring. And instead they kind of went back to like, all right, well we established that he can fly, but it would be better if he struggled by fighting and punching a little bit more. Cause that's what we know <laughs> how to more do. More Interesting. <laughs> and maybe we can get a car chase and that was a hell of a car chase, but it's like, didn't we just do this in the, the first movie? That's why the sequels mm. don't work because you can't, you can't go anywhere from that tease at the end. Like in some respects I was excited about the next movie, but then I quickly realized They can't go anywhere from there. This is over. They should just stop.
4: I had heard rumors that the the second movie was going to be that the the real world that they got out into was actually another facet of the Matrix and they had to get out of that. That I probably would have liked a lot better.
3: Yeah that that was the obvious way they could go and w- the way that many other movies have gone since is like how many la- I mean inception obviously like is the one Even that so that ball would have been
4: a it. retread so it still would have been kind of a letdown.
3: So about the same time this movie came out uh there was
0: a, a Chris Carter the guy who did the X-Files did a a very short-lived um Harsh TV series called Harsh Realm right mm-hmm. which was a reality uh a, real- a virtual reality kind of show there was uh, Terry Quinn was a dictator inside the virtual reality world and
4: how did I miss this uh, it, show? It's,
0: it it was on for it. like a month. It was on for very little time. I loved yeah. it actually. I, I really got. I really thought it was, it was good. a good a good show. And, and the moment I bring this up, not only because of the similarities to the Matrix and about the same time, but but one of the really great things about it, and and actually Terry Terry O'Quinn as Santiago the dictator is pretty awesome. <laughs> I, I highly recommend that alone, but. Um, One of the plot twists that I really loved in Harsh Realm right before it it went off the air, and this was D.B. Sweeney is basically the star, or I guess Scott Beristow and D.B. Sweeney, um, is the whole idea was that he was trapped, that he was a soldier trapped in this Harsh Realm, the virtual reality, um, that was based on like a government process or something. It was Chris Carter. There's lots of conspiracies. But there's a moment where... you about five episodes in where you realize that there are some characters who can come in and out of the virtual world and and you get a glimpse of the real world and it starts being about that which is about like the Matrix you're coming in and out and I always thought that that would be a really great place for the Matrix to go which is Neo- um, like being able to step back and forth between the worlds and having it be like more like a doorway and that all the old rules of you having to jack into the Matrix no longer apply and it would be a very different kind of uh, kind of thing. Like Harsh Realm, because that was a really great twist in Harsh Realm. Um, yeah, check out Harsh Realm if it's out there somewhere. Look for used DVDs.
4: You know what? Now The more you talk about it, the more I think maybe I did watch did it. Did see
0: it, yeah. Yeah, but it came out <laughs> the same time as the Matrix. It was funny. It was very similar kind of premises. Um, oh, I-, I wanted to say before we... Uh, before we wrap up and anything that you guys want to want get off your chest still we should we should do that but I wanted to mention one random thing that occurred to me while I was watching this which is I really love how, t- how what is it Tank always answers operator that, <laughs>
4: yeah, that's
0: I find nice that touch. charming because he's you know he's the guy on the other end of the phone phones are everywhere and everything they do and every time he answers it's operator I just well, he like doesn't that. dare indicate who he actually is to no, this is Tank person. of the resistance hello <laughs> can I help you <laughs> oh,
1: operator does he does he get other calls? If you would like the codes to the
0: Zion mainframe, I can get those for you. It's like I don't have the this is not Comcast. I can't cancel your sorry, I can't cancel your cable. <laughs> so anything we we didn't cover that uh, that we should we should cover before I we I would kind
4: of like to f- film nerd out for a second yeah. and just talk about every time I watch this movie, I notice something something new, something different. And the thing that I noticed this time was sort of the theme of reflections. If you notice, almost everything in The Matrix is reflective. So much stuff and nothing in the real world. You don't even see a mirror. But in The Matrix, you've got, you know, everybody's sunglasses. You've got, you know... in the uh, in Morpheus' sunglasses, you've got a different reflection in each each right. eye of the sunglasses. Right, you've, you've got, got
1: the different pill and the different lenses. Yeah, that's you a can nice see shot. Him reaching for
0: the one, and that's yes. how you know he's going for the red exactly. one. Exactly. The pill great.
4: case itself that he's twirling around is super reflective. Even the pills themselves are kind of shiny. The crazy, creepy
0: mirror that that his hand gets stuck in
4: exactly Mm -hmm. and that's that's the part that just really got me this time you know reflections aren't real and neither is the matrix it's a great symbolic sort of distorted thing for it there and then you've got the mirror that kind of goes all wonky and starts climbing up his arm a literal reflection is the physical manifestation of his distress at that point i just i thought that was really awesome
1: there is no spoon it is only yourself and you know because your
3: face is in it
4: oh yeah (laughs) exactly
3: (laughs) Wow. On the op- operator point that you brought up yes, before, operator, I my take is that he was not saying that he's Lily Tomlin, like the operator at the end of the phone. It was like an IRC channel when you've got ops. I think that's what they were going for since it was the 90s. He's the he is the, he is the channel operator. He's the sysop, He's yeah. The, He's
0: the dual, yeah. it's a dual meaning. But it, it is that he is the Lily Toplin operator. The whole idea is they dial out and they get the operator. One ringy dingy. One ringy dingy. Two dingy, two, dingy. And then you're out of the <laughs>
1: Matrix. Time Life Books, would you like to order our 13-part series on ghosts and ghouls? <laughs>
0: That's how they keep you in the matrix. That's
3: how the system. This is, this is age works. testing our audience who make these contemporary comic book references and then go back to Tom Tomlin the operator. Look it up; it's probably on YouTube, kids. I'd look like to
0: apologize again to the, all the grad students who are listening. We're sorry.
3: Yeah, they
1: already had to look up Mister Wizard after watching this movie. That's true. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, I did want to mention it's so fast I never noticed it before. But when Agent Smith explodes, part of his face flies by, and it's still yep. screaming. Uh, yes. Yeah. I, I love yeah. that bit.
0: That's a really counterintuitive ending too, where he he dives into the agent. And you're like, what is going on? You know, again, <laughs> yeah, the why not? Grab why far out, man. He's yeah, reprogramming. Him. Well, he's, he's that's exactly out. it. He's he's going right inside him and and, yeah. and and tearing him into little pieces. Yeah, and reprogramming him exactly. I I, I wonder if he comes back in the next movie. He does, uh, but <laughs> but you know he can't beat them any conventional way, and so now he he's given up. And and I, it's a nice moment too when the other agents look at each other and they're like, yeah, we're out of here. This is, we we don't know how to we're not prepared to deal with this guy so we're we're out of here um yeah that's that's a really nice weird every time i see it i'm like that is so strange he just dives into him and then he's gone and then he, the guy blows up and then he flexes his muscles and the whole the whole hallway bends
3: the, i kind of like the non matrix world a lot more towards the end of this movie like when the sentinel is tearing its way through like you know while the little love scene is going on there as the sentinel is tearing its way through the the thing that I find menacing and interesting. Those yeah. mechanical real world mm. devices tearing through with lasers, like these, you know, in a Terminator esque kind of way. You know, that's what he does. That's all he does.
0: And Erica, that there's your shiny thing in the in the real world. The only shiny, reflective thing in the real world are those super shiny, beautiful
4: Sentinels that are, yeah, yeah to actually, the that machines. and the uh, the ports on the back of their heads are the only other oh, thing yeah, that's shining, right. which is oh, something yeah. you know created by you know the the. The robots, and then the way you get into yeah, the matrix.
3: They, they basically have the the dark Johnny Ive doing all their designs for the, for the <laughs> AI things. It's very sleek. That's and, why and they design. need
0: the Matrix. Is the creativity of the of Johnny Ive in the in the Matrix app version of Apple?
2: Because for a while it was all like leather and felt and wood. It was really <laughs> weird.
0: No, that was the fall of humanity. Was the skeuomorphism, yeah. and then then the. <laughs> Then the Matrix That's came. That was the
3: decadent times, as seen in the Animatrix.
0: Yeah, but then they, <laughs> then they made the beautiful, uh, beautiful sentinels that will come and kill you with lasers. Um, but they're beautiful, the little squid guys. They're pretty awesome. I always get confused about. I I always like to think that the ship is like a submarine and it's in the water, but it's not. It's a hovercraft, and they say it's a hovercraft, and yet I the way the sentinels move, they move like and they look like squids. Yeah. Everything they, looks like it's in water. They look like the they're in the good. water, yeah. but they're not. But they, they but they fly, look like they but are. but they
3: can
1: crawl, and it's not clear
3: that they would be able to fly given how they're designed. <laughs> well, once it's... they land, they look like. I mean, it's like Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea. Like it's a submarine, you know. Yeah, it's yeah. The whole thing they're doing yeah. there.
0: when they cut a hole water doesn't come in because it's not actually a submarine so yeah all right i think we've reached the end um and we're not going to do two sequels cue the rage against the machine riff that's right yeah Yeah. seriously Uh, but this is this has been great. And it was it was fun. I mean, I don't know about you. It was fun for me revisiting. It had been a little while since I saw The Matrix. I, I bought the Blu-ray, but it was kind of fun to, to watch it in HD with the surround sound and all of that. And I hadn't seen it in a little while. And I remembered all the things that I like about it. And there are some things in it that I'm like, eh, well, you know, it's not... not- that that scene isn't that great or all of that but it's such an influential movie and it's still fun to watch and, and and the fights are 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 beautiful and it's kind of fun to watch morpheus be a fortune cookie and and uh the oracle called neo not too bright and all of those things are so i i really enjoyed it and i don't know about you guys i really enjoyed the doing the rewatch
2: oh yeah
4: i hadn't actually seen it since since I was, it was in the theater that was the last time oh, i saw my God. it just, it was time until, number 10 for you until a couple months ago when i watched it with my husband and I hate to describe him as an albatross, but I feel like watching it by myself just just this past couple of days um, was a much more fun experience because I could just relive it the way that I the way the way that I remembered it, and I didn't have sort of this pressure of oh my god is he going to like it is he is he getting this part does he understand what's going on
0: <laughs> well <laughs> you know when you show something you love to uh, to people uh, who are important to you you know you're kind of Letting yourself open for their judgment... Mm-hmm. And it's a b- moment of vulnerability. I found this out when I showed Real Genius to John Syracuse. Show it to me. I saw it. When I, it was know, out in the I know. I know. I just Come am on. making a joke, but <laughs> but yeah, it is. I, I totally get that. That I've I've done that when I've tried to expose somebody to a a movie or a TV show that I really love, and I'm like, oh, oh you got to watch yeah. this. And then if you're watching it with them, especially, it's like, oh man, you know. I hope it goes. Aw- oh, are they are they liking it? Are they uncomfortable? And it's really nerve wracking. So I it's totally get that. It's a touchy thing.
1: You got to you got to be very careful not to oversell it. You got to lay out something like, exactly. hey. This might be okay. Check this out because there's
4: things that I hear. (laughs) But it didn't work very well. I ended up just becoming more invested in his reaction to it than Uh, in the movie itself. So you're watching him,
0: not the movie, then, right? Yeah. So watching by myself was,
4: I think, I I was able to recapture all the excitement and glory and squee that I felt the very first time (laughs) I saw it in the theater and the subsequent eight times.
1: And next week, you'll do the same with The Phantom Menace. (laughs)
4: you know what i just might i haven't watched that since it was in the theater either turn
0: turn back be prepared for disappointment (laughs) having we Mm. just we we did that rewatch. that was not no
4: we'll see i'm very good at i'm very good at sort of slotting myself back into a a place and time in my mind so if i'm able to, to do that successfully i might just be able to recapture the the excitement of the moment and not pay too much attention to the specifics of the film
0: a uh, team of social workers will be headed to your house to talk <laughs> thank you. you out. I appreciate this. that. <laughs> um,
2: take the blue pill. Yeah, take
0: the blue <laughs> pill. Thank you. Well well said. Okay. We've reached the end of our time, but I want to thank my guests for for taking the red pill and joining us in the Matrix. And we'll continue to fight against the machines, um, et cetera. <laughs> uh, David Lore, thanks for being here and uh, entering the Matrix with us.
2: Thank you, Mr. Snell.
0: <laughs> okay, he took he took uh, Agent Smith, so you guys can't. Uh, John Syracuse, thank you for being here.
3: I'm going to take this opportunity to recommend once more the animated Animatrix, it's good. Yes, it's mm, yeah. A-N-I Matrix. It is two animated shorts. I don't have no idea where you can get them, but I bet if you do Google search. Uh, watching this movie again, I was able to let go of my anger at the premise and just enjoy it, but I still enjoy those two animated shorts more. So if you've never heard of them or never seen them like animation at all, I highly recommend Yeah. It's really
2: Actually, it's great. a whole DVD of uh nine. Yeah, it's a bunch of bunch of yeah. um, different animated.
3: Oh yeah, I shorts. just mean I just I'm sorry, I, I'm you're right. I'm I've mis- misidentified. I'm saying the second Renaissance part one and two are specifically ah, the ones I'm talking about. Gotcha. Not all the animated shorts, which are of varying degrees of quality. Yes. It's second Renaissance yes. part one and two. Thank you okay. for reminding me. Yes. Seek those out, check them out, they're awesome. Okay.
0: Steve Lutz, thank you. There is no IRS. <laughs> whoa remember that whoa
3: it'll blow your mind man it became auto from the simpsons there for a second i think (laughs) (laughs)
0: whoa
3: that's good yeah
0: erica ensign thank you for being here
4: (laughs) thank you very much for having me um i i wish i could do a line how about i'm just another guy girl there you go
0: okay that, that works that works it was great to have you here i thank you for, thank you for coming on i know that uh you saw this movie so many times in the theater it was really great to have that perspective too which we don't uh don't usually get around here and i and and anything that you would like to plug i mentioned verity which is a really great doctor who podcast is that the the you have anything else that you'd like to promote um, to our i guess
4: veritypodcast.com for the podcast uh i I'm also on Twitter as Holly Godarkly, if you want to chat with me there. And I have my own blog, which is fangirlknitsscarf.wordpress.com, which I update occasionally about geeky stuff. And not so much knitting, so don't worry about that. Not
0: so much the knitting. The <laughs> distressed knitting of the Matrix, though, I think is the topic for... <laughs> I we're going to need that resource sometime
1: in the, in the far future. We're going to need blogs about <laughs> knitting.
0: We are, clearly.
1: <laughs> I think I think we're all set there, actually. So we don't have to wear ragged, snoopy snow hats around our Nebuchadnezzar. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> that's one to grow on thanks steve yeah. a- and i am jason snell as always for the incomparable thanks everybody for listening we'll see you next time in the matrix or Whoa. on a podcast Whoa. Whoa! hey we made incomparable t-shirts that's right there's one with our logo we call this one the Syracusa. And for fans of rigid airships, there's also one with our Zeppelin on it. We call this one the Zeppelin because we're really
2: creative.
0: Anyway, they're on sale until October 7, 2013 at 2 p.m. Eastern Time. So order before then, or be eternally sad. Visit theincomparable.com shirt to learn more.